Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. There is so much I could say about my friend Aaron Miller. He was on the show back in episode 614, back in 2020, before the pandemic started, early 2020, right before I moved back to Florida. And uh, we did one of the very few live interviews I've ever done, and it was awesome. You should definitely go check that out. In fact, I might... I might do that as the revisited this week, might not, uh, but we're we're meeting again, and what's so cool about this conversation is we were talking, and I was actually flying out to Colorado the next day, this was like a month ago, a couple months ago, and Aaron's like, hey, where are you flying into? And, and come to find out, I was like two miles from his house. He's like, we have to hang out, so I got into town not 24 hours after we recorded this. And we hung out, had a great time, went and got a couple beers at some uh, breweries he likes to visit. And uh, it was awesome. Aaron's an awesome dude. Uh, I can't wait. We're going to interview his wife, too, who just ran across the Namibia desert uh, or the desert in Namibia. I'm not sure the name of the desert exactly, but that's going to be awesome. It was like a 100-mile run across the freaking desert. Unbelievable. If you don't re remember, we did uh, the topic was adventures of a travel rider. And today we're actually going to be talking about that a lot too. We're going to be dialing it back and focusing on a few of his early adventures of being a travel rider. Um, things that were quirky, things that were different, things that made him see things in a new perspective and how he kind of got that career started off and where it's led to. He has his own podcast, uh, Podcasts. The one that he hosts specifically and for the longest time is Armchair Explorer. Great show. Does a fantastic job with that show. They've won tons of awards uh, over at Armchair Explorer. And he has a production company too, Armchair Productions, that produces all kinds of amazing travel and adventure and nature podcasts. Be sure to check out their entire network. All that's in the show notes. But today we're going to talk about some of his quirkiest, coolest early adventures, like a 100-mile pub crawl. Uh, walking around the city of London like an urban trail, uh, going down a Scottish river on a pool float, like class five rapids. It's absolutely insane. And uh, just how he got an eye for these weird and unique and very interesting challenges. So it was a pleasure talking to him. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have him as a frequent guest on the show and hope you enjoy too. He's, he's a, a fantastic storyteller. Can't say enough about the guy. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Me and Aaron have been, uh, man, we've been talking a little bit. We've been having fun, man. I've wished yeah, some of that was recorded. We're going to keep it going, though. Sometimes you hit record and the dynamic of the conversation changes. You're you're experienced enough that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to affect you. I've had other no. friends where I hit record and it's like, it's like they turn <laughs> into a work mode uh, person <laughs> where it's like super official. And I'm like, what just happened? But I don't have a work mode, so you're going to be all right. right? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> you're either always in work mode or you've just been able to seamlessly integrate it with your personality. But The only time I've ever worn a tie is at a wedding, so okay. right, I feel good. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, and that yeah. was my wedding. <laughs> that was your wedding. Wow. that's uh, My wife made me do it, so there you go. <laughs> you know, Aaron Miller... Uh, from from episode 614, Adventures of a Travel Rider, you're back today to tell us about some of your 
early adventures, how you got started in this. We didn't have a chance to dive into some of those early adventures the first time you were on, but this time we are, and I don't even think I said welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely honored as always to be here. You have a great show and amazing guests, so I'm uh, thrilled to be a part of it again. Trying to be like you is what we're trying to do. <laughs> it's not um, the other way. <laughs> that's, we, yeah, eventually we'll just be the same show. Um, we'll just merge. I'm working on my beard, so I, you're winning the beard game. <laughs> It'll grow on you, that's for sure. Uh, where are you coming from today? That's always my first question. I know this answer, I'm pretty sure, uh, but you know, listeners. All I'm uh, coming all the way from Louisville, Colorado, which is just outside of Boulder, uh, looking at the beautiful mountains right now. The fall's coming. It's my favorite time of year. It's a perfect time of year for adventure. It cools down a little bit. The leaves change. It's uh, it's just the the perfect fall. And I'm coming. I'm coming from Colorado via the UK, which is why I've got this kind of weird mid-Atlantic accent. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, I've lived here for a long time. So you've stolen a few of my vowels, but uh, originally I'm from the UK. Oh, man. Uh, not to sidetrack us too much, but I'll be in Boulder tomorrow. Oh, really? And I'm staying in Superior that You're in night. Superior? I'm going, like to be. Gonna be... I'm going to be tomorrow. And so I was like, May maybe we'll connect. Maybe we'll connect while I'm out there. I'm only out there for like 40 hours for work. But you know, uh, Superior is five minutes away from my house oh yeah so i knew it was like if right you want to come over and for a beer that do it i uh, i owe you the beer so let's do it i will have plenty plenty athletic brews on me and oh, there we, go. we could go nice. out for you know the, uh, an alcoholic beer um but uh yeah man that's uh i'll have to we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards but uh, colorado via the uk you're a renowned awarded decorated travel writer but you know, what I want to kind of dive into, which I think would be interesting, is is where did this world for you start? I'm not sure we spent a lot of time on that on the first time we talked, but like, so what are some of those early adventures? How did you even get into this whole idea? What came first, the travel or the writing? Did it come together at the same time? What was that like? Yeah, it's it's a great story. And actually, I kind of what I thought might be fun to share is a few of those early adventures because I did I did absolutely crazy things that no one else would do. That was kind of how I got my break into it. Um, but yeah, definitely travel came first. I didn't do this until kind of later in my 20s. Um, but uh, and I love traveling, went backpacking, you know, with my best mate and around Brazil and a bit of South America and I had a, I had a bunch of fun. And uh, always, you know, loved uh, adventure travel particularly and would read all the magazines and be like, oh, my God, that guy has the best job in the world. Um, and then I had that kind of late 20s, early 30s. I got to change my I'm like, I, you know, that kind of this, I am not going down the path I want to go. I'm doing a job that doesn't really make me happy. I'm staring out the window. I'm crawl. I'm literally clawing at the window at work. I had to you know, physically force my head to look at the computer. You know, it was one of those one of those situations. Um, and I just decided, you know what, this is it was before I had kids and it was like, this is going to be my, my window to try and do something I've always wanted to do. And I always wanted to, to be a writer. I didn't plan on becoming a travel writer. I just kind of fell into it because, um, the first job. So when you're a travel journalist or any kind of like feature writer, article writer, you're always looking for stories that have a kind of topical hook, a story that, you know, if you want to get a story published, it has to be a, a really interesting story, but there also has to be like a why now for it. Like, why is this, why should this story be published now? So you're always looking for these, um, these kind of topical hooks, they call them for stories, like what it can hang off. 
and I had a crazy idea and that was like my first big article that got published and after that I just kind of ran with it but it was a lot of fun you're gonna be jealous of this one Mason I feel like I feel like this is right up your street so my first job so what it was so I grew up in a in a city called Brighton on the south coast about an hour south of London and um surrounding Brighton is a national park called the um, South Downs uh, National Park and it's a beautiful area. It's not a national park like you would get in um, in the States in that it's totally wild. It's actually a biosphere. It's a UNESCO biosphere reserve because it, it kind of, it's this ancient landscape that's been farmed for, you know, thousands of years. It's been populated for hundreds of years. And so it's this kind of combination of people living in harmony with the environment. And it's got these beautiful, it's like quintessential England. Like if you can imagine England with little village pubs and farms and, and all that kind of thing, that's the area. Um, and they only turned, they turned it into a national park that year. And I was, you know, I was reading about that and I was like, this is amazing. They're turning my home turf into a national park. And there is a hundred mile footpath that goes from, from the coast, from a town called Eastbourne, a hundred miles across the whole width, the whole breadth of the park to Winchester, which is a, you know, a famous, uh, uh, town, in England that has the Winchester Cathedral. It was the, the seat of King Alfred. So it's got this, like, this history. And for centuries, people would walk this, uh, pilgrims would walk it, traders would walk it. Um, and because of that, these coaching inns sprung up because they would walk it and they would need somewhere to stay. So these kind of coaching inns, effectively these pubs would would open up where people could rest and spend the night and have a meal and have a drink. And they're still here, like tons of them are still here. My local pub was 600 years old. You know, it's one of those sorts of places. And I thought to myself, you know, anyone can walk this. And it is a beautiful walk if you just walk it normally. But I decided to do it as a hundred mile pub crawl and stop off on every single pub that, that is anywhere near the trail along the way. And yeah, I've never done a, a trek quite like it. It was a lot of fun. How many pubs are we talking on this on this hundred mile trek? So I probably hit about three or four pubs a day. Um, so I would, you know, you start off in the morning, and I would have stayed in that pub overnight. So I stayed in a pub overnight, and so you start off in the morning in the pub. I didn't have a beer first thing in the morning, you know, kind of cheated on that one. But you'd have like a full English breakfast, which is, you know, like the whole the whole works bunch of stuff that uh, doesn't belong together. Yeah. Yeah. I know. What you're talking yeah, about. exactly. The greatest <laughs> breakfast that's ever been imagined that only, yeah, only yeah, English people would eat. Um, but, and then I'd, you know, I'd probably stop somewhere for lunch and then usually I'd have another one, like a mid afternoon pint. And then I, and then I'd finish in a pub that night. And it was amazing because, you know, it, A, if you've never done it, walking slightly tipsy is a, is a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was kind of fun. Um, and it was also beautiful because I, all these little pubs were very like local pubs, like a village pub, you know, where everyone that lives, you know, maybe there's a few hundred people that live in the village and they all go to this pub. And so you've got this real kind of insight into this into this way of life and you kind of got welcomed into these communities like there's there's a few that you would go to and you know it was one of those where you open the door and like everything stops like even the pool balls stop and the jukebox like everything's like 
it like stranger who is this guy in our village but then within about five seconds you you know everyone everyone's come over and asked you a question and you're finding out about the local cricket team and tea bake sale and you're getting all the gossip and so it's this really like funny bizarre look into into people's lives which I absolutely loved. You know, the one place I had like a kind of Irish fiddle performance and another pub, there was this medieval game that they, like it's a probably a three or 400 year old pub and they still have this medieval game that that has been played in there since the pub was founded where you, you try and flick a coin into a hole. Um, and so I discovered all these these amazing bits and pieces about it. But the but the hike itself is absolutely fascinating because you're sort of traveling through all this history and it's, you know, it's a landscape that's, you know, for people that are listening elsewhere in the world, it's, it's a very different landscape. It's a very gentle landscape. You're walking along the spine of the South Downs and the Downs are, are hills. And over the course of the whole hundred miles, it's about 13,000 feet of elevation gain. So a decent amount, but it's split over a week. So it's never really you know, too much. It's very gentle up and down. You usually have a beautiful view of the sea to one side. And on the other side, you have this beautiful farmland uh, and kind of lush green fields everywhere. So it's incredibly beautiful, but you pass through all this like amazing history as well. You know, like there's on the, on the first day you begin in uh, the seven sisters, which are like these chalk cliffs. It's, it's right near the cliffs of Dover, which is like mentioned in you know history books all over the world you know the, the people sailing in would look for the white cliffs of dover to know that they're they're nearly home and so you're actually walking along these these cliffs and you go up higher and there's all these beacons it's called ditchling beacon and these beacons have been around they were built um you know around the time the 1600s when england was really uh, nervous about the spanish invading the spanish armada invading so they built all these these beacons that would be if you saw the armada people would be watching you would light one of these beacons on fire and it would spread a message all the way along until you know the the warning got and and they could kind of raise their defenses so it's this, you know, and there's Iron Age hill forts, people, you know, there's there's Bronze Age burial mounds, there's, you know, there's you're walking through thousands of years of history and then drinking a ton of great beer at the same time. So what could be better than that? <laughs> did you tell the pubs what you were doing and did they I mean what was kind oh, of the yeah. entrance? Interest? It was it was it was obvious because <laughs> it was obvious. actually this was this was February. So no one in their right mind would walk this route in february like Why'd february you do in then? england is well because um it had to be published in summer so i i did it in in order to have time to to write it and get it to the, the magazine but um and so it was like if you can imagine rain so intense that like only a submarine would keep you dry like, like it was that sort of rain you know and uh, so i'm literally like opening these pub doors in the middle of a storm and like coming in drenched with a huge backpack and everyone is just like, what, what, the, where have you come from? You know? So the story just kind of like comes out by itself, but yeah, it was, let's say it was atmospheric uh, in the extreme. Wow. So, the, so <laughs> man, that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of stops that would slow you down and, and yeah. conversation. I'm sure you ran it. I mean, it was probably hard to pry yourself away from some oh, yeah. of those settings 
there was some nighttime walking unintentionally. That's yeah, that's imagine. for sure. <laughs> what, what's uh you know after this, telling the story and the the writing and 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 doing that, what was the uh, what'd you say is like a lasting impact or a lasting impression that that or lesson that that trip had on you? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So that's a great question, by the way, May. Um, so there's this amazing part at the end. So the pilgrims, pilgrims would walk all the way to Winchester, um, and you know the traders would go there. And so the end of the end of the the South Downs Way is is this abbey in in Winchester that's still standing to this day. And as you walked it historically, you would knock on the abbey door and you would request the the wayfarer's dole. It's called, and they would give you a glass of beer and a piece of bread as as the kind of welcome to the you've you've made it and to this day if you knock on that abbey door they will still give you the wayfarer's doll so that moment for me was just beautiful you know you've done it you've walked the 100 miles and i really didn't know if they were going to do it or not you know but i i knocked on the door a little bit self-conscious and i was like i've come to request the wayfarer's doll and they're like yeah come in and uh, wow. they gave me a a glass of a glass of like you know warm beer and uh, and a and a little piece of bread, and you know even though it was warm and flat, it was the best beer of the in, of the entire of the entire trip by a country mile, um, and so that that was amazing, um, and you know it was it really inspired me with this kind of twist of doing like a proper adventure but doing it with like a kind of eccentric twist you know doing it with this little kind of piece of fun and you know as we're talking about it was a it was a way in to meet a lot of people um which was which was which was really nice that was one of the things that was really good about this trip um and it was just it just kind of opened my eyes to like you know there's so many adventures you know proper adventures that i want to do and that i've, that I've done and um, and I still absolutely love that. I still have tons of that stuff on my on my list. But it kind of opened my eyes to something I hadn't really thought of before, which is just this: why don't we just have some fun and not take it too seriously? And and yeah, that sparked a few other crazy ideas too. Well, so you, I mean, you come from a land of explorers and adventurers, uh, just a history of yeah, exploration, some of the greatest ever known to ever do it, and and so. Is this attitude about adventure, would you say it's rare? Because I also feel like uh, in the UK, folks are folks can be pretty silly and pretty fun and, <laughs> and cut up a lot. And uh, The home of Monty Python. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, amazing that's comedy. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it's, if Monty Python did adventures. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so there is a lot of seriousness with a lot of folks that we've either had on the show or just the reputation of adventurers. Mm. Um it sounded almost a little novel to you. Like you could kind of yeah. have this little niche to yourself, or at least there are others that maybe felt that way, uh, that, that read your stories. Yeah. And you know, it was, for me, it was, you know, a start into travel writing cause no one else had probably even thought of doing this or would do it. Um, and you know, so it kind of carved out a little niche to begin with. Um, so that, that side of it was great, but yeah, I just had a ton of fun. And so I've always kind of been looking for stuff like that. Um, you know, since then, it's just, uh, you know, I, I kind of say that, you know, to 
to test yourself against the elements is brave, but to laugh at yourself while you're doing it, that's truly enlightened, you know? <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say insanity. Or um, truly insane or enlightened. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're so close to each other, right? They... Like, you step over that enlightened line just a tiny bit. Yes, you're it really is just a flip <laughs> of the coin, uh, which side you get insanity or enlightenment. And so, so many people get so close and that yeah, they, they they get the wrong side. So what are what are some of the other things that started to uh to come up? Because you know, I, I imagine a hundred mile walk, even though it's a week, it's it's a lot of time to think about what other yeah. things there are and, and then processing the story, sharing that, I'm sure your eyes started to wonder to what's next. Yeah, and what came next was arguably even more insane. So there's this thing called the River Nevis race in Scotland which the river nevis kind of flows off ben nevis which is the the highest mountain in the in the uk and in scotland and you know it's it's obviously it's flown off a mountain so there the, the parts that at the beginning are, are quite steep and and there's big rapids for for a little while there um and in sort of true scottish you know in, insane style they created this this race which is like a white water race but instead of using proper white water rafts um, you basically use inflatable pool beds and it's called the world, uh, the world's extreme Lilo race because a Lilo in Great Britain is those things that you lie on in a pool to like suntan on the pool. Um, and yeah, so you, you go there, it's, it's a brilliant atmosphere. It's like a festival atmosphere, but people don't like stick to pool beds. There are giant inflatable, you know, people are going down class four rapids, like clinging to an inflatable turtle. It's like literally <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing an alligator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like the unicorn yeah. thing, just inflatable rafts. It's unbelievable. Inflatable things and some things that should not be cling to uh, that. And that's for sure too. And uh, it's and there's music playing and it's just like this this um, this crazy crazy atmosphere, and you know for the story for it I had I had a lot of fun so I warmed up by going to this I'd never done any whitewater stuff before then so I warmed up by going to this like Olympic park in uh, like artificial whitewater park that they built for the Olympics in London. And I was like all confident rolling in there, and then after doing this in a raft, I was like what have i got myself in for like i'm gonna kill myself what what am i what am i thinking so i roped in my best friend didn't tell him what we were doing and we just headed up to scotland and then he was like i you know i hate you like that's it we're <laughs> friendship canceled um and we did some canyoning you know where you jump down all the rivers and streams and that was like a ton of fun as a warm-up and then we got there and it's like you kind of go up and um, you inspect the the course before you go. And, you know, everyone's in like wetsuits with the helmets and all of that. So it's, you know, your adrenaline's building. And I asked one of the organizers, like, you know, what's what's the water like today? You know, trying to, you know, secretly inside, hoping he's going to be like, it's it's pretty gentle. But like, you know, outwardly being like, yeah, you know, let's hope it's big. And then like that proper Scottish accent is like, it's thumping mate and you're like <laughs> oh god you know and uh you get carted up to the to the top the it's class four rapids at the beginning right and then sort of stretches of paddling and uh and i asked the the, the previous year's champion was there and i was like so what's your tip like how did you how did you become champion he's like when you're overtaking someone just unplug unplug their uh their lilo you know, the <laughs> oh <board."> my gosh <laughs> so it's like all, all no holds barred and um 
And then, you know, you're nervous because you're seeing people jump in and just get swept away. And, and, you know, you're definitely thinking, what the hell am I doing? But then you jump in and it's like, immediately you're just immersed in this adrenaline and this fun and this cold water splashing up and you're flying over these rapids and you're clinging on for dear life. And, you know, it's like the difference between, you know, looking at a white water river and jumping in is the difference between seeing a bottle of whiskey on the shelf and like downing the entire thing in one. So it's like, as soon as you jump in, it's this amazing, um, amazing experience. And then halfway through, it, you get to a waterfall and you've got to get out of the out of the river and kind of walk up to the edge and then then you you've got to jump off this this waterfall like this 30 40 foot waterfall into like this pretty small pool and because it's scotland there's like a huge crowd that has gathered to watch like one at a time each one do it <laughs> and if you pause for a second they start jeering you go on you know so you're getting jeered by like 200 people as you're stood on this on this waterfall and you just throw in your, you know, you throw in your lilo, jump in after it, hope you catch it. And like, there's a moment when you're standing up there in front of the crowd and I kind of just like lifted the inflatable above my head and I was like, yes, for just a second, I was like the maddest white water champion the world has ever seen, you know? And uh, kind of got carried away. I was like, I'm going to win this thing, you know? And, and then, of course, I like finished 50th or something like that. But I made it to the end, and, and that's all that counts. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a ton of fun. I absolutely loved that job. And what's funny is that, you know, it's fun, and everyone's laughing and having a good time. But it's also pretty hardcore. Like, you're not, yeah. in, a, you're not in a kayak. You're not in a whitewater raft. You're, you're on a pull float so it's weird how at one one hand it's less not i'm not gonna say cool because i it's like less hardcore and then more hardcore at the same time it almost like it goes around it to that's a good point like it that's breaks a good way to put it it breaks the the like i think i don't know if the word is facade or what but it's like holy yeah. cow you can do it that way i didn't even know that was an option to yeah, just be and if silly. listening, you can't do it that way, right? Like, <laughs> I wouldn't. Don't just jump don't do into it. Yeah, river don't do it. Don't jump inflatable... in the. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Some river so... in Colorado and and blame the Adventure Sports <laughs> Podcast. Uh, yeah, if that happens in the next few weeks, your your, your name's all over it. That's what that, we're gonna blame you. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that before. It's like it's this weird combination of of proper serious like undertaking lots of adrenaline you got to kind of work yourself up to it and at the same time just hilarious like you're just laughing with everyone the entire time you know you're watching inflatable penguins go past and someone screaming and you're just like this is the best thing i've ever seen in my life so yeah um definitely worth doing it you know especially if it's like a i saw a lot of bachelor parties there and i was like oh that's the greatest idea for a bachelor that party is so seen. great that is such a great <laughs> so much better than the the norm uh what uh you, you know it, it's almost like if you climbed everest we're in a banana suit or something on the outside it's like <laughs> does that make it more or less it, it, impressive and i'd say more just because it's I'm like more impressive yeah, yeah i think it is i think it is and it also i don't know something about having humor in the face of real danger and just fun in the face of everything going on in the world, I feel like 
gives people a lot of comfort and a lot of peace with um it's almost so like the also like almost like those stories you hear when parents stay super calm in an extreme emergency for their kids sake right. or something that's always just so mind-blowing to me that people yeah. can do that so there's a little bit of that going on too so um, so, so then what, you know, you, you, you've got the hundred mile pub crawl. Where do you go from that? You've got the right? river Nevis <laughs> race. There's, there is a trend and there's not a trend at the same now time. Now I've accidentally <laughs> pigeonholed myself into this stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm like desperately trying to get out, but everything I'm getting offered is another crazy thing. So, so the, you're just getting pitched thing. ideas at this point, I imagine. So starting to, and, and, you know, people are said, oh, this guy will do it. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, and, um, and then, so the, the the next thing that came along was um, there was a thing a while back called campinmygarden.com, which is, I don't even know if it's still going, but it was like couch surfing without the couch. So the idea was that you could book like people's back gardens. This was before Airbnb. So this, we're going back, I don't know, about 12 years. And hip so. camp, which is like the camping version yeah. of Airbnb. Yeah. Yep. But you would, you would camp in people's backyards. So, um, you know, you would, it was like Airbnb, but someone's backyard instead of like renting and they'd still be in the house. And so it was, um, and I thought like, what would be the funniest way to do this? And, you know, cause people do it for like maybe a festival that's close by or, or other stuff like that. You know, maybe there's someone that lives close to a trailhead or no camp. I mean, something like that would probably make more sense. I thought, like, what would be the the craziest the craziest thing to attempt with this? So there's a um, there's a a long distance trail. It's a 78 mile trail called the Capital Ring, which goes around the entire circumference uh, circumference of Greater London. So you literally like start. I mean, I guess you could start anywhere, um, but you start and you go around and you see like the whole, like a kind of clock going around. You see the whole of London and all these different places. And this, you know, people walk it in parts. Like you'll walk like this section on a Sunday and then, you know, maybe, maybe another section, you know, you would never do that as a continuous trek, trek. Right. Right. But I thought now you can, because now you can stay in people's back gardens as you, as you go. So I walked the Capital Ring, um, staying in strangers' back gardens along the way in London. And it was it was eye-opening. And it was also a really hard trek in many ways because it was like it was like being on a kind of urban treadmill. I felt like you know, I was just constantly walking through like these city or suburban streets with like because I was camping. I had a really big, you know, rucksack on um and all the gear. And people, you know, were just like, what is this guy doing? You're like, you know, why, why is this guy in full trekking gear, you know, on a high street in London? So definitely got a, a, a few funny looks. Um, but, you know, again, a little bit like the South Downs way, I, I would kind of email people that signed up to this website and be like, hey, I'm doing this insane thing. You know, can I book your back garden? And the people that say yes to that are really interesting people, you, you know? And so I, I had a lot of fun. Like the first couple um, I stayed with, it was like a young couple in their twenties. And, you know, I, I, I arrived and was a little nervous and they were more nervous than me. I think they're like, what are we doing? We're just getting this random guy to stay in our, 
in our backyard, but they kind of welcomed me in. They had wine. They'd laid out some cheese. It was like going around to someone's dinner party and, you know, we, they're really lovely and we caught up and we talked about traveling and all, and all this kind of thing. And then, you know, an hour or so later, it kind of faded out and it was like, right, we're going to bed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to your back backyard then and pitch a tent and uh it was just like this Have like fun. thanks yeah and it was just weird i'm just like pitching a tent in their back garden like and like feed you know, from their home cooking some beans over my my stove you know and uh and people and are we... probably still walking by the trail like <laughs> yeah, as exactly. just exercise for the evening and whatnot yeah and and it's not really like you would think it's a trail like a a real trail you know where you're you're completely off the road and it is for a lot of really nice sections but in order to link it there's also a lot of sections where you're like walking down a sidewalk you know or or, you know walking and and like taking a compass bearing on Woolwich roundabout which is like never been done before because it's like what's going on but um and you know and then it's like you're camping in someone's city back garden so there's like loads of other gardens really really close to that and like one was having a like a barbecue and a party and i was just lying there listening to their music thinking this is like a really bad festival like this is what going to a really small bad festival would be like you know and uh it it was just like and i felt like a little puppy you know like a a naughty puppy like staring out the door looking inside at them all warm and and nice you know eating a, a hot meal and i'm just like with my beans and like trying to make beans, a cup of tea the weather and just <laughs> yeah it's uh I, I get that way on bike trips when i see people in their rv or something and, and i'm out there or i bike by and they're like listening to music eating their sandwich i'm starving and it's raining and i just yeah. i feel it's it's not fair of course to them but i feel like almost a sense of anger or like <laughs> yeah you don't even know how good you got it, you know, yeah, and, exactly. And really, exactly. you know, when it's all said and done, we're, we're so moved and thankful for our experiences that, that had to be interesting. That had to be very interesting. How long did that one take you? So I had to do that one really quick. So it was quite intense. I did that in, uh, three nights and four days. So it was long, it was long days of hiking, but, um, the, and the, you know, and there was like, so they were sort of really lovely. The second couple, uh, and this is like way out in a suburb. So it's, they were like really close to Heathrow airport. Cause it's going around the outskirts of London. So there's a lot of like suburbs and that as well. And um, so it was just like this weird kind of situation where I'm knocking on this kind of normal house and, and, uh, and like there's planes flying over about 10 feet above my head. And, and it's like, and I knocked on the door and it's like this, the slightly older couple this and um the what the woman th- that was is is singaporean was singaporean and she's like i've made you a feast so you know opposite to what you're saying about the the bike path i was starving and i came in and there was like a seven course meal of like these like singaporean treats and curries and side dishes and she spent like all day preparing this meal and they were kind of an interesting couple that like he was really quiet. She was really talkative. Um, it was like this weird kind of voyeuristic peering into their, into their lives and, and into their relationship. And it was, you know, they were husband and wife, but it was a weird kind of relationship as well. And, and you know, when I, when I left the next day, she's like, please come back. 
and I was like, oh God, you know, I'm obviously not going to come. I mean, it's very unlikely that I'm going to come back. Right. But I was like, wow, she just looked really sad in, in the sense of she doesn't get to go out much. She, there's not a lot happening. And I think she just really enjoyed the company and, and, and something different. And it, and it was a little bit sad, but it was also like, we'd really made friends and we had a big hug. Um, but yeah, it was this weird. So it was like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone to go to London and do this track. I, you know, you do see some lovely pieces of history and some lovely pieces of scenery and stuff like that. But, you know, they're not all of it is is scenic and beautiful and, and necessarily worth doing. It felt like a big achievement. And I felt like, to be honest, like, you know, I always say like walking is a really a really powerful way of seeing a place because I, I think like our brains have evolved to understand a place at a certain pace. And so when we drive through somewhere in a car or, or something like that, I don't know if you really get a, the same sense of how big something is or all the little details of a place. And so I'd li yeah. And I, you know, I'd, I'd lived in London for 10 years and, um, and, but after that, I felt like I really knew it in a deeper way. Um, so, th so that was great, but you know, the, the track itself was, was, um, you know, kind of hard. I felt like I was always, tr I was, I felt like I was like chasing a bus that had just left and I just missed it the entire time. And I was forced to walk, you know, but, um, but this, this glimpse into people's lives was, was absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of what the story became about really was, was the people I met and, and this way into, into other people's lives that I, you know, there's not many ways that you get that. I'm sure that was eye opening. Uh, just a, a, a very interesting way to learn about a place in kind of a, a, a cross section of a place too. Yeah. Not yeah. London proper, you know, the d downtown, the center of town where tourists are going kind of probably the, where real life, like on those outskirts of where real life is happening for a lot of people and, and, and day to day stuff. And, uh, yeah, there's probably details you could have never imagined that you saw because of that. Absolutely. You know, and I actually haven't thought about this, but it would be really great to do that with another city as well. You know, I don't know which city, but just to, just to combine that love of, of hiking, but take it to a completely different environment you've never even thought of before. And, you know, that's, there's something really fun about that. I did something similar this is a kind of another semi crazy thing where this this company had invented an, this idea of a trekathon it was a way of raising money right like a kind of a, something you could do to raise money for for charity and um a trekathon was a was a 26 mile hike so the same distance as a marathon but you just hike it and the one that they that they had put on was going around barcelona and um, in spain so it was this um it was a city I'd always wanted to see and explore. And I did it with a friend of mine. And it was like, you know, again, it was a little bit of a hard hike in, in some ways because it was a long hike for for one. And, 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 you know, there were elements of it that were very urban. But what a cool way to see the city too, you know. And any hike that you can stop off for tapas and like Rioja on the way. I mean, that's such a perk. Like, how it many is. long distance tracks do you get to do that? It is such a perk, man. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's uh, maybe, maybe you'll do the uh, what is it, 470 loop around Denver. That would, oh, that'd yeah, keep you busy for a while. <laughs> the E470. Well, because yeah, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you know Alistair Humphreys, the adventurer. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, amazing. He, guy. he had a famous uh, micro adventure compared to his, you know, big. Is he was originally famous for a four year bike around the world, uh, but he got really well known for the concept of micro adventures, and he did the M twenty five loop around London, just oh, hiked he? next to the road. Oh my! The God. entire that's loop. way more hardcore than uh, than this. And I mean, that he's is, just you yeah. know no, no trail, just like side of the highway. And uh, he said it was every bit as adventurous and and everything his four year bike tour around the world he experienced wow. he experienced all of that on that trip and he, and, so, and, he, that... and he was basically saying adventure is not somewhere else it's really just a way of doing things and a way of looking at things and you can tap into it you know right in the town you live in by taking a path or walking or slowing down and noticing details like adventure really is it's everywhere it's just a matter of tuning you tuning your radio to that channel um the wavelengths are there you just really have to basically tune in another thing he would do and i've heard other adventures uh Bo miles we've had on the show who's from australia does amazing mini documentaries about just quirky adventures like this he just decided to walk to work one day instead of drive and it's an hour long drive i think into melbourne and it took him, you know, two or three days to walk it. And he's like, I found pocket change and hats and clothing. And he made a documentary, basically a short film about this experience and how just how eye-opening it was to walk 10 feet from where he drives every day and how yeah. different and insightful of an experience it was. And I agree. Like, just that one step it's i mean that one thing is really hard to do but at that one thing that one change in the the equation can open your eyes to so much i really love that uh mason i love that idea that that you said of you know adventure just being a state of mind like we think of it as a destination we think of it like i'm gonna i have to go here for adventure and actually there's a really cool story about alistair humphreys that illustrates that as well he did a, I, th I think he did a, like a documentary or a film about it, but he definitely wrote a book about it. I, I can't remember the name, but he, once he, yeah, once he'd done all these other adventures and he'd sort of been got used to challenging himself in that way, he thought, how could I challenge myself now? Like this idea of doing adventure is, is kind of comfortable for me. And so he decided to go to Spain, I think it was, with no money. And the only way that he could earn money for food and living and everything was by busking with a violin. But the only problem was he couldn't play the violin. He had never played the violin before <laughs> in his life. And this was terrifying for him, right? So, yeah. you know, this for him was what trekking in the Himalayas would be for a lot of us, right? This was a huge challenge. It was scary. It was terrifying. I think it was terrifying for everyone listening too. There's this really funny video of like him in a square in Spain with loads of people going up to busk and people kind of looking at him, like smiling, expecting a, a lovely performance. And then he starts to play. Yeah. And at this point he had literally never played. And it's like one of the worst things you'll ever hear in your life. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. And he's he's genuinely afraid. Like he's genuinely nervous. You can tell he's like, 
that I, I shouldn't be doing that. Like almost <laughs> like that, like regret. And, I, and that's amazing to see for someone who's challenged himself in so many ways. Yeah. And yeah, you see the people's face and they're like, what is happening? Is this a joke? And, and I, I love that um that he has made this idea of micro adventure so uh, uh, important and also so valued because, you know, you and me are kind of in that same boat. We have kids, we have businesses, we have just busy yeah. lives. How often are we going to be able to get out for a hundred mile pub crawl? Maybe, maybe you know, every once in a yep. while, but not those big four year adventures. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even know if any of us aspire to do that anymore. But yeah. it's, uh, how do we have adventures? I think yeah. through stuff like this and just seeing things in a different way. Yeah. Um, so, so the Capital Ring backyard camping, uh, that is such a cool idea. Um, so many unique variables, the people and who you run into. Uh, from there, did it, I guess it continued to involve, uh, there was an idea of cliff camping. Um, yeah, tell me this, about that this... a little bit. Cause that's a, that's a totally different oh realm. God. So I just moved to Colorado and, and some, there's a company near Rocky mountain national park, or maybe this is a little bit less eccentric, but way more terrifying for me anyway. And, um, and they had just kind of come up with this idea of, you know, you know those portal edges. For people that don't know, portal edges is something that mountaineers will carry with them uh, on, you know, multi-day climbs. Where they're, let's say, they're climbing up a, a cliff like El Cap or something like that in Yosemite, but they're going to take two or three days to do that, so they need something to sleep on at night, and they'll carry up this portal edge, which they'll unfold. It's like a tent that they'll then, you know, attach to the cliff through through anchors and bolts and stuff like that. But it's always been like the realm of serious climbers and mountaineers, you know? And this company was like, huh, why? Why not turn this into like a hotel room, you know? And so they invented this kind of idea of, well, you know, they didn't invent it, but they they came up with this idea of, of, of cliff camping, which would take like ordinary, you know, non-extreme climbers up, on a cliff to you know to experience what it's like to spend the night on a on a portal edge and i've done a bunch of climbing so i wasn't really nervous about that i'd never slept on a on a portal edge before and i took my wife because we were living in colorado and so i I took my wife uh, with me and it was just going to be like a really great like a great date night you know this is gonna be fantastic and uh we had this guide uh uh, buster douglas is his name and he's like don denali he's like super kind of hardcore guy and what he'll he'll sort of lead up the cliff and get the, the port ledge set up so it's definitely all secure. Not the boxer, Buster Douglas. Uh, yeah, the boxer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't know you lived in Colorado. It was into this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What a no, resume. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um and so he goes, gets it set up, and then you know, you know, repels down and he's like, right, let's go up and and so I climb up first and it's like a really nice climb, you know, sort of five, nine or something like that. And, and get up to the portal edge and I'm doing all right. I actually, although I've climbed, I do have a bit of a fear of heights. I think everyone, well, most people, you know, other than Alex Honnold has a, has a slight fear of heights, you know, it's, it's something kind of ingrained into us. Um, so I'm, I always have that adrenaline when I climb anyway. Um, but then I sit on this portal edge and and I for some reason I thought it would be solid. I felt like it would be like sitting on a, a bench or something like that. It's incredibly narrow. Like if you could imagine an office desk, that's like how big it is. And um 
and it's not it's not solid at all it's like sitting on a on a surfboard on a, in wavy water it was really windy right and so i felt completely like insecure normally when you're climbing you get to come back down again fairly quickly right and just be like or even if you're multi-pitching you know i'm going to be down later that afternoon but i was like oh my god i'm, I'm just not going to be down from this and then it's it's windy and there'd been some like dark clouds coming in and buster's looking up and he's he's kind of looking at the storm coming in and it comes in quite quickly whilst he's getting me set up on the the portal edge and tied into it and then all of a sudden there's a flash of lightning really close to us and this guy who had been like the james bond of climbing up up until that point super cool starts muttering to himself get down quickly that can get down quickly get everyone down quickly and so i was like oh my god and he's like right we've got to do an emergency rappel now and he basically just throws me off this this cliff and just like whoosh all the way down as as this huge storm comes in and get down and and like he's still nervous like wow that was close oh my jeez but like inside i'm thinking great i don't have to do this like you know i tried the storm came in it's a perfect excuse and uh and i'm like oh you know thanks anyway man it was it was really fun anyway he's like no 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 let's wait the storm out and then what we'll do is we'll we'll hike up the backside of this cliff and we'll rappel down to the to the port ledge in the dark it'll be really fun and i you know i'm like oh god and because i gotta write about this i'm like i can't i can't back out of this and um and my wife through this whole process is absolutely loving it which makes it so much worse you know and so the storm eventually goes away and the stars come out. It's a beautiful night. And so we hike up the, the backside of this cliff, like kind of bushwhacking and there's no trail there. And we get to the top and he, cause he'd never done this before. There's like, it's not a crevasse, but there's like a, a hole between the two cliffs, which goes down like a massive crack, which goes down a couple hundred feet. And it's as wide as like a sidewalk, you know, so you can leap over that very easily but he's like we're not roped up or anything and he's just like jumps across he's like yeah come on follow me and i'm like what he's like yeah just jump across and i'm like yeah but what if i slip i'm i'm gonna die here and he's like you're not gonna slip watch me and he's like jumping to and fro and i'm like no this is like really different for me i don't do this you know all that often but anyway we have to you know and at this point i'm thinking why did i bring my wife like like why would you bring why would you orphan your, your kids for this? Like you should like leave one parent behind, you know? And, uh, and so me and Joe are like jumping, you know, we eventually jump across this, this, uh, huge crack. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. Thinking that was the scary part. And then he like anchors us in and we have to abseil down. And it's like pitch black. Like I don't, I've done abseiling before, but never into just pitch blackness where you can't see the bottom. You can't see where you're going. And I went first and he had thought he'd calculated it so that I would come right down onto the, onto the portal edge, just like switch anchors and be, be all cool. But he hadn't, he would missed it. So I came right down to the bottom of the rope and I was like 20 feet out to the left and a little bit short and we can't really hear each other very well, but eventually he's like shouting down to me and eventually I hear You've got to just swing like a pendulum and get as close as you can. And I was like, what? 
So there I am in the pitch black, like, you know, trying to swing over so I can reach the portal edge and, and I'm a little bit up from it. So I kind of have to anchor into it while I'm not on it yet and down climb a few feet. And it was like, oh my God. And I thought that was the scariest bit. But then I had to spend the night up there. And at this point, like, so Jill takes the the inside. So she she's like on the cliff side and then I'm on the outside. So she's kind of like nestled in snug. And she thinks this is the greatest thing ever. And um, and I'm on the outside. And so I just feel like there's that ancient lizard part of your brain, which is just like, what are you doing? Get down. What are you doing? You know? And so I'm like spending the whole night just like, oh my God, oh my God. And then... Um, the, the kind of storm comes back and we have to like get up and put the cover over us. At one point I need to like go for a pee. And the only way you go for a pee is by like leaning over the edge. And I, I tried to hold that thing for hours, you know, and it must've been the fear, but eventually I'm like, this is the most extreme pee I'll ever take in my life. Like I'm literally leaning over a cliff here. And, uh, and and so it was really, really scary. And the whole time I was like, you know, what am I doing? But but then the sun rose, right? And the, when the sun rose, suddenly this valley, you're overlooking Estes Park, which is the town near Rocky Mountain National Park, and these be you know, the beautiful Rockies. And you see all the lights come on of the town and you see people kind of switching on their 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 kitchen lights and really distant, far away. And um, it's beautiful and all this color kind of comes in and you're in this incredible place. And Buster says to me, look at all those people down there. They'll never know what it feels like to be here. And I was like, wow, that's why you do it. That's why you go through it because it gives you that like phenomenal perspective on a place like this view that you'll never see this sense of adventure that you'll never see that you'll never get to experience in, in your normal life. And because of that, it was so beautiful and, and like really profound and we just, just amazing. You know, we had a coffee up there, but I do have to say once we did finally abseil down to the ground, I kissed the ground, I kissed the dirt and I was like, I am never doing that again. Oh man. What an, and your wife's like, when are we doing She's that? Like, again? That was amazing. And it made it so much worse. She's like, what are you on about? This is fantastic. Those are some great stories. Uh, yeah, are you, thank you are you in a position in, in life where you're you're can, uh, always keeping an eye out for something unique like that, or you just busy with uh, armchair productions telling telling stories through through that? Like, what's uh what's kind of your yeah. your 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 state of quirky adventures? <laughs> well, I I mean, I guess yeah, I you know I I. I do less of those now, but I'm a big believer in saying yes to, you know, I'm a big believer in like, if an opportunity presents itself and it might be scary for you, but if it's not extremely dangerous and it's something that you want to experience and it's just sort of your fear of it holding you back, put, I always say to myself, just push yourself to do it, you know, just go for it. Um, and so I, I, I definitely am taking that spirit into it still i you know i'm doing more i i do less and less travel writing i i do i'm kind of into podcasting like you and i do some of these shows now where we get to go on location to places and that's super cool um but yeah always always up for for trying stuff always up for experiencing things like i, I for me like 
travel adventure is all about like collecting these beautiful moments, you know, like these peak moments The like you go away and, you know, you might go away for a week and, you know, I recently was in Oregon for, for a week and Oregon's amazing, by the way, I absolutely love it. And, and sort of travel down the coast and had a great time. But you, what you, what I remember from that is like going out on the coast and kayaking and I, a whale breached right next to the kayak. The first time I walked into a redwood forest and just felt like I was transported to this Jurassic world. And I think it's those moments that like change you, that you keep with you forever. And so I feel like a collector of those, you know, I feel like I want to collect as many of those moments as I possibly can, because that's what's really precious to me. So I always try and, and say yes, apart from cliff camping. And there's no way I'm doing that. One again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some other things out there that uh, you won't ever do again. It, once, yeah. once you do them, once you do them, but Aaron, where, where can folks listen to your stories? You have oh, some thanks, amazing mate. storytelling capabilities, not just in writing, but in audio. I'm a big fan of armchair Explorer and, uh, some of the other projects, kind of unique stuff you're working on now. Tell us what you're doing with that now. Thank you, mate. Yeah. So yeah, I got my show armchair Explorer. Um, and we just kind of relaunched a, a new season of that. So we do, um, you know, storytelling a, a little bit like what you do. Um, we try and interview really interesting adventurers and then kind of turn that into like a storytelling documentary where we're really focused on the the journey of one incredible expedition or ex experience. Um, but then we started making all these like on location stuff too, where it's like, you know, you would see a travel TV series maybe where you'd follow the presenter around into an experience. And I thought, what, what if we just did that in audio, you know, and, and, um, and audio for me is, is like, I love podcasts. You do amazing podcasts. I love listening to your stories. And it's, there's a couple of reasons why that is, I think, but audio goes in really deep. You know, like if you read a book, it's, it kind of creates this internal monologue and it, it only really works if it sparks your imagination. And that's why great books are always better than the movie because it's that story has come alive in your imagination. So TV is wonderful. It's amazing to see stuff from a, you know, travel. But I think what audio can do is what great writing does is it can make something come alive for you. You know, the theater of the mind, it's mm -hmm. been called. And, um, and I, I think that's really, really powerful. So I just, I'm just experimenting with that. How can we use that to make different places and experiences come alive? Like whether it is that kind of kayaking with a whale in Oregon or, you know, going into listen to music in Memphis, Tennessee or whatever it is, you know, um, how can I, as a travel writer, as a storyteller, put the listener, immerse the listener into that experience, into that moment of like wonder, that peak moment I was talking about. How can I drop you in the middle of that and give you a glimpse of what it feels like to be there for real? And that's the next challenge for me is like, how, how can you, how can we use this medium to, to really transport people um, to different amazing places in the world, to transport people to different cultures, to make those different cultures and ideas come alive to people. You know, one of the, the great things of, of course, of traveling is the people you meet and to hear those voices and the accents and the passion in their voice. Um, you know, that, that's, that's unbeatable. So 
Yeah, that's kind of what I'm, that's, that's where the storytelling piece is, is going for me now. And it's, uh, it's just a beautiful project to, to be working on. Oh man, that is so fantastic. And yeah, it's, I, I'm a huge fan of audio. I, I talk about it every chance I get just podcasting, even though, you know, there isn't the culture and funding and, and infrastructure and industry yeah. around it as film, of course, but I think something about it taps into something ancient, like, uh, yeah. the, like oral history, you know, like the first yeah. form of storytelling was basically telling story, just talking and yeah. the first form of information swapping, uh, it wasn't written down. That's for dang sure. For thousands mm. of years, it was only oral history. So I think humans are almost evolved to really enjoy this. And, and, it, and it's where we kind of got away from that, I think. Uh, mm. with, with in the in the last century same with like texts in a weird way you're going mm. back to writing letters to one another so it's like almost <laughs> yeah. this kind of circling of history in a new way that's how I feel about podcasting and I yeah. and you talked about so many parts of that why it's so important because reading wasn't yeah. around you know all that yeah, long. God, it's such a great point you know I'd never thought about that but it's true it's like you know you go back thousands of years and it was telling stories by the fire right it was it was that's how history was was transformed you know um you know translated to people their, their own stories and you know there's there's a theory that if you look at what defines us as human beings compared to other animals and there's lots of ideas of course of what that might be but one piece of that uh is stories like we are the only animal that kind of understands ourselves in terms of a story. Mm -hmm. Our lives have a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, That's... we're the main character in our play. And, you know, there, it's stories are a way that we've understood. Like you look at fairy tales and myths and legend. That's how we taught our kids, you know, morals and ethics and where to go and where not to go, you know? And um, so, yeah, I love that idea. There's something deeply ingrained in us to, to listen to a story you know even as kids going to bed and being read a bedtime story you know that's it's it's something that is deep within us um i love that idea that's great i love that we'll uh we'll see if we can convince you know more people to, yeah, to that's another that. episode isn't it yeah yeah man and and, and you know what's cool and the last thing i'll say about podcasting obviously people listening are fans but you can just you can do other things i can't just it's it's hard to sit on a screen after working all day at a screen and watch something. I got to get up and do something. So this is a medium that people can live the lifestyle that you and I are preaching and talking about. You know, they can participate in that lifestyle. They can be driving to the mountains while they're listening to a story on Armchair Explorer about the mountains or about the place they're going. You can't sit down and read a, a, an outside magazine article while you're on your way there. Um, it's just not, you got to disconnect from the lifestyle to consume the media with this. It just, it just works together so much better. So yeah, much better. so cool. It's audio, no matter what they develop, right? New platforms or whatever, audio is the only format you'll ever be able to multitask on. Right. And that's that, like, if you think about it, you know, that's the only for, like format that you're ever going to be able to just be walking your dog, cooking dinner, commuting, whatever it is, whilst taking in this storytelling or this experience. Um, and that's why that's why we love it. That's why we listen to podcasts all the time, because as you say, it fits into fits into our life and it and it enriches it. And um, yeah, that's that's cool, man. That's great. Yes. 
Well, Aaron, thank you so much for uh Thank you. This has been again. so fun. This has been so yeah, fun. Man. I really we'll have to do it again it. in a couple years. Oh man, I would love to. And uh beers in superior tomorrow night, man. Come on, let's do it. I could do it. That's <laughs> on me. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.